Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a fantastic show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters all of which are available at Amazon in ebook and paperback format. And if you're an audiophile and like to listen to a little something driving around or when you're out jogging, you can get volumes one through six at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. And one more note before I bring my brother in. Some of you have been requesting autographed books. And what I've done is I've put up a selection on eBay. So if you just type in your search, autographed Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, you're going to find them. And you'll know it's me because in the book description, when you open it up, I'm going to say, I am the author of these books, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) So you'll know it's me. Anyways, Kev, come on in, brother. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Marvelous, marvelous. I have a particularly cool story today to tell uh, the folks and you, uh-huh. and uh, you're going to get a real kick out of this one. Uh, folks, you don't know that just before the show, my brother has uh, become quite the model builder, and uh, he favors uh, old warbirds, war- World War II at least for now. And he showed me uh, his latest build, which is almost done, right, Kev? Yeah, just about. I got to finish up the weathering on it. Okay, and he's doing a gangbusters job on it. But the latest uh, plane he built, now I had no knowledge of this, is a Hellcat, Grumman Hellcat. And it just so happens that today in this account, there is a mention of the Hellcat. Oh, that is so strange. Phil. It is strange. That's what I talk about <laughs> synchronicity all the time. You know that. Uh, I mean, you can't make that up. You know, you have no. It's ridiculous. I, you never and told you, me you and, were I, build- and you have no idea what I'm building at any point in time because I never show it to you until it's kind of almost done or completely done. Right. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's the weirdness of the whole thing. You know. Yeah, that is wild. <laughs> so Very what do we cool. have in our? Uh, Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities segment. Uh, Yeah, we're going to go with some Sasquatch today. Excellent. Yeah, and we're going up to Clem 2 in British Columbia. Yeah, that's that's a creep fest over there. You know, uh, uh, Les Straub uh, spent a fair amount of time in that region when he was doing the uh, uh, Survivor Man Bigfoot series. 
Yeah, I actually saw one of his episodes uh, where he went canoeing up uh, in the lakes there. He got permission from the First Nations people and went canoeing and was camping up there by himself, like uh, in this hotbed area of Bigfoot sightings or Sasquatch sightings. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that one. It's pretty, pretty wild. You know, he's got bear spray with him and yeah. a couple of these flashbang bear repellent sticks and then meanwhile like he gets up in the morning and he looks at the sand around his tent on the edge of the lake and there's like these huge wolf tracks and huge <laughs> bear footprints and nice. and then he took a couple of castings of uh Sasqu- what he believed to be a sasquatch yeah you know and to me uh bear sprays as good as hairspray in those situations <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what i'm saying kev Oh, man. But, I mean, think about, like, a pack of wolves. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah, they'd, you know, they'd tear I'm your gonna ass I'm going to spray them? Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's they'd, just going to get the first two of them mad. <laughs> yeah. You know, when those bad boys surround something. Oh, man. That's got to be the worst way to go, right? Yeah. I mean, they just, I'd rather face off with a grizzly because, uh, you know, in one swipe, you're done uh, <laughs> than a pack of wolves. Yeah. I mean, they just surround you and they start... Edging in on you one by one, you know? Yeah, just start nipping at you and tear you apart. I mean, horrible. Yeah, I told you that story of the uh, DEC guy uh, I spoke to months ago when I asked him about how the wolves and the bears interact. I think it was in the Wyoming or Idaho. And he said that they had been tagging bears to see where they uh, hibernated. And upon approaching some of the hibernation areas... They were finding bears torn apart by wolves. Oh, yikes. That's, I mean, that's crazy, you know? Yeah, not, not shocking, though, right? That's not the wildness shocking. of nature. No. They don't care, man. They're just vicious. And if Hungry. they want they you, they're going to take you out. They got to eat. Yep, so does a Bigfoot. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this place is, uh, I mean, of course, it's British Columbia, so it's quite beautiful. And um, this uh, uh, village of Klemtu uh, is on a little island called Swindle Island, and it's kind of northwest of Vancouver, so out on the coast of the southwestern edge of British Columbia. Okay. So not that far from Vancouver, but very rural. And it's actually, it's pretty close, you know, maybe 100 miles or so from what I could guess uh looking at the map from um that uh that uh town of As- Ahusat the first nation location where I did an episode on the fisheries officer that sighted the sasquatch yeah on the shore if you remember that one yeah yeah very interesting so you know i mean again here we are uh with what we know of the area that yep. there are apparently Multiple creatures around there, at the very least multiple, if not, you know, dozens. We have no way of knowing what the numbers are. Super rural place, you know, in Klemtu, it sits in the middle of uh, what's called the Great Bear Rainforest, which is uh, around 40,000 square miles of uh, rainforest in uh, British Columbia there. So like I said, pretty darn rural. It's got these deep fjords, you know, these these glacial 
lakes uh, surrounded by cliffs and stuff like that. Very hard to get in and around. And then once you start uh, hiking, too, it seemed like, like if you look at uh, Les Stroud's um, uh, episode where he's hiking around there in the woods, very difficult to get around, not many trails. And then uh, the, the, uh, the vegetation is full of that devil's club plant that I told you about when I was up in Alaska, where it's, yeah. you know, like six foot high, big leaves and covered with gigantic thorns that'll kill you. you know? Yeah, at, aptly named Devil's aptly Club. Aptly named Devil's Club. <laughs> you know, and I did see that episode with Les. And another thing worthy of note uh, when you're in that area, number one, anything could get to jump on you in a heartbeat and you wouldn't know what hit you. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is all of the felled timber covered in moss. I mean, like one wrong step and you'd have a turned ankle at the very least. Oh, so, yeah. And and again, like like in this area where he uh, was where less, just as an example, in here in the Klemtu area where he was looking for Sasquatch on that episode, you know, he paddled a cot. Uh, uh, a canoe, I was going to say kayak, but it was a canoe, all the way up to the other end of this lake. I mean, nothing there. If you ever got hurt, yeah, forget it. Yeah, you know. yeah you're on your own with your hairspray. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> no cell coverage, nothing. <laughs> you know, you better have a satellite phone and somebody who cares. <laughs> Help! <laughs> somebody who's got a chopper. <laughs> hey, maybe you have one of those... Uh, necklaces where you hit the button and you can say help i've been attacked and i can't get up i've fallen and i can't get up <laughs> and there's a black-eyed children oh, looking no. at me. a black-eyed kid steals your canoe <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome so i'm going to talk about a couple of these accounts that are documented and uh, some of the material i'm going to go through today comes from the website mental floss our friends at mental floss which uh, they have a lot of cool stuff up there, not just on cryptids, just kind of interesting stuff to think about. Um, so this first uh, encounter happened in the uh, in the evening on uh, during the summer of 2001. Okay. And the gentleman who reports it, his name is Doug Nislas. And uh, he and a few of his friends, they were out on the boat on uh, Katasu Bay, uh, right in this area of Klemtu. And uh, this is on the ocean side of Swindle Island. And uh, they were having a big uh, driftwood fire. You know, it's a beautiful night. They talk about how the Milky Way was glittering like a dusting of powdered sugar up in the sky. So you could kind of imagine being there on the beach. Yeah. Um, beautiful starlit sky, ocean next to you, and um, uh, this beautiful driftwood fire going, right, with all the colors of the salt and that in the driftwood. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, definitely very cool. Yeah, so they're sitting there, hanging out around the fire, and uh, this gentleman, uh, Nislas, noticed something. Basically, he's looking toward the woods from the beach while he's sitting around the fire, and he sees, like, uh, a partially hidden face of something looking at him from behind a big tree stump. 
and it's kind of lit up by the fire. So like this creature coming up and uh, taking a peek at them from around this giant stump. And he's just sitting there staring at it like he stops talking and he's thinking, what the heck is going on? And then his younger brother is with him and he sees uh, his older brother looking over there. So he follows his gaze and then all of a sudden everybody's looking over there and they see this creature that all of a sudden stands up and they say it was at least seven feet tall. Yeah, it's a big bugger boy. Yeah, yeah. And covered, uh, covered in hair, um, they they went and saw the footprints as soon as it walked away, and they were fifteen inches long. Wow. And the you creature, know, while it, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, whenever we talk about the height of a Bigfoot, you know, I'm always in a room with an eight foot ceiling. And you know, when you just look up, Kevin, when you stand away from the computer when we're done, yeah, and you just consider that leering down at you or leering at you from any distance that would really be intimidating yeah you know these beasts are big big buggers man yeah so you know these guys they're standing they're sitting around the fire they see this bigfoot sasquatch looking at them uh from the firelit fire the thing stands up seven feet tall and then it backs slowly into the forest and disappears so you might say if you're sitting there well you know seriously maybe it was a bear right it's dark out they got a fire it is a starlit night well let me tell you that this gentleman nislaus Turns out he's Canada's first licensed indigenous bear guide. So <laughs> I think he knows what a bear looks like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd say I give him the uh, benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Like, yeah. I think uh, I think it's not a bear. I think yeah. if he says it's a Sasquatch, it is a Sasquatch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he talks about it that... Um, You know, he has seen some other Sasquatches since then, but that was his first encounter. And he says, also, like I paddled my kayak along the island here and had a humpback whale come up right underneath my kayak. But he says, by far the scariest moment of my life was this first sighting of the Sasquatch. Yeah, I can only imagine. You know, and again, to fall back on, where's the terror, Bill? (laughs) <laughs> come on. You know, I mean, yeah. really, come on. You know, yeah. uh, what do you think? You're like freaking one of the X-Men or something, like nothing bothers you? Can you imagine that, Kev? You're in the dark, and one by one, each person starts to see this thing kind of leering out from behind this massive tree stump, and then it stands up. I mean, yeah. that would just freak the f- hair off your head. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt Holy about it. Holy smoke. And, you know, this whole area there of Klemtu, it's a, it's a place that's populated by uh, First Nations people. Uh, the population looks like it's about 800 to 1,000 people. So, you know, relatively small village there. And they they call the creature, right? A lot of the First Nations people have their own name, right, in their, in their various languages. They call it a ba- Bagwis. B-A-G-W-I-S. Bugwis. And they say that translates into ape-like appearance. Huh. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's pretty cool. I mean, uh, and again, they would know if they're seeing a bear or a bogwis, I would imagine. 
Exactly, exactly. You know, and they also—it's pretty interesting, Bill. They show—I uh, have a picture of it, and I'll post it on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. They have in their village uh, a sculpture into a rock of a bogwist that's you know believed to be hundreds of years old. Oh, that's so it's kind of part of their you know the 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 indigenous people have been talking about and seeing Sasquatch in this region of Klemtu for hundreds of years. Uh, that picture, Kev, is it worth posting? Can you see some? Oh, I'm deep? definitely going to post it, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. It's very cool. And I'll post some pictures, too, of the surrounding area because it, it does give you a better feel for it. And, and folks, if you get a chance, you know, look at that episode of uh, Les Stroud, Survivor Man, Bigfoot. I think it might be season six, um, if my memory's serving me, uh, I didn't write that down, but it's pretty good. But so this, this Nislas, he talks a lot about the fact that, you know, some, some folks don't believe, not local folks there, but, you know, generally he says some scientists don't believe that Sasquatch exists. And he's had multiple encounters. And again, he's a licensed bear guide. So we knows the difference between his animals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's got the Fisher-Price farm. He knows what a cow looks like, <laughs> a bear. He probably knows what sounds they make, too. Yeah, and um, this is the, and he this is the farmer. The, exactly. One of the things <laughs> that folks say, uh, you know, that leads them to think that they don't exist is that no one's ever found a skeleton of one. But he talks about the fact that he sees bear all the time in this Klemtu region. But he, in fact, has never seen a bear skeleton either. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah, we hear that over and over again. And as a matter of fact, not to just keep jumping on Les's bandwagon, and I don't mind. I, I think the guy is fantastic. Uh, he said the same thing. He's never found a bear skeleton. And I've had numerous people that I've interviewed say, you know, you never find a bear skeleton, even though there's said to be X amount per square mile where they are. Uh, it's rare enough to see one, let alone find a skeleton. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then even like the cougar, the cougar goes off to die. Yeah, it hides. Yeah, so yeah. wherever they generally can be seen in their territory, they leave that and go somewhere else to hide and die. Yep. So I mean, come come on, you know, it's 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 no jump for me to just say you'll probably never find a skeleton. I mean, yep. come on. I'm surrounded by deer over here, Kev. I've never seen a skeleton of a deer. Yep. yep. I, <laughs> I, don't, I have ask. seen I have seen deer skeletons out hiking. You know, like the. After they were attacked, I don't think they laid down and died. You know, it wasn't like an attack skeleton. Okay. It was more like a, a bear got them. Yeah, they were taken apart. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And they talk, they, so, you know, in these these folks up there in Klemtu, they say that the uh, Sasquatch, um, it, well, it's a very, it's an area that's rich in food. You know, everything from the salmon there in the streams and rivers, um, and uh, to clams. So the clam beds, you know, it's a tidal shore there, and it has very uh, rich clam beds, you know, some big, healthy clams. And they say that the Sasquatch uh, ha has been seen uh, eating the clams and digging the clams out in the flats. Yeah, this is, uh, this is not the only location where that has been seen. 
Right. Uh, they know. I mean, come on. They know what's going on around them and where they can get whatever they can get. That's- yeah, and I've seen uh, the big, huge brown bear, the grizzly, up in Alaska um, digging for clams as well at low tide. It's amazing. Like, that, you wouldn't that- think uh, huge bears are eating clams, but they like them too. I guess they you can know. smell them or they're trained to do that generationally by uh, the mothers. When the cubs come along, she brings them down by the shore and shows them this is another way you can get something to eat. Exactly. And we actually saw last year when we were up there, um, we saw a mother and three cubs uh, where she was showing them how to clam. Oh, that's cool. amazing. Yeah, just uh, shocking. Yeah. So they also talk about up here in Klemtu, uh in some of these sightings that these Sasquatches scream in uh, terrifying high-pitched tones. Mm. And uh, Nislas, again, he talks about uh, some memories of going on a clamming trip with a group of other young people and um, went out in the middle of the night, which was a good time, they were saying, to get the clams. And uh, they pulled the boat up on the sand, and they filled up their buckets with clams, had a good harvest. And then they started hearing these piercing screams uh, getting closer and closer. And they were with, like, a very well-respected elder. Um, and um, he was saying, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's, it's a normal thing. You know, it's just a Sasquatch, and they'll stick, keep their distance. But then uh, it kept getting closer and closer. Um, then they uh, they decided to skedaddle and get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a report where somebody heard a Sasquatch screaming, I want my MTV. <laughs> I don't know if it was true or not, but, you know, I guess they need entertainment, too. Yeah, so, I mean, this place looks beautiful. Um, definitely putting it on my bucket list to head up there sometime when I'm near Vancouver to try and explore uh, further nor- north and see some of these islands because they just look spectacular. I don't know if I'll canoe uh, up to the far end of the fjord and go camping with the wolves and bears by myself <laughs> with no weapons, though, you know, just to be clear. Never mind the Sasquatch print castings next to the tent. <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Exactly. There's plenty there to get you. Boy. Oh, oh my goodness. And don't forget your hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, so that's Clem 2, British Columbia. Fantastic, Kev. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. and that's a great uh, report. Uh, again, you know, encouraging everybody, uh, as I did a little while ago, to get uh, Les Straub's uh, DVD set off his website. Uh, you won't regret that, man, because it's just excellent footage, good insight, uh, a really good walkthrough of some potential Bigfoot evidence. Uh, some of this stuff is uh, inarguable to me. Uh, when you see it and you're there and you know the area. I mean, uh, you might as well say the man on the moon put it there if you're going to say a Sasquatch put it there because nobody else could have put it there. Yeah. Uh, Nothing else could have done rationally what was done there. Yeah. I think about the guy who said that the uh, 
tree structure that he came across uh, was made from predominantly trees that weren't located where it was found. So, you know, the trees might have come from a hundred yards away uh, right. in another little location of the forest where they grew, but they weren't there. So j- just that alone, if you were a man or a two men or three men uh, going about this hoax in the middle of nowhere, schlepping hundreds of pounds of trees for, for for great yardage to lean them up in some type of strange configuration. What to what end? What what is the purpose in that? Yeah, you know it, it it's so maddening to think of somebody saying, "Yeah, well, a couple of guys did that." You know, yeah, not likely, not likely. And the ends of the trees aren't sawn; they're broken, snapped. I mean, you know, the, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, the plot just thickens as to who, what really did this, you know. Yeah. Anyway, by the way, I'll, I'll apologize to our listeners for some of the background noise. I think there's some F-18s uh, buzz in the house here. It's great. <laughs> Crank up the volume. I want to hear them. <laughs> it's the sounds of freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like F-18s ripping around your neighborhood. Yeah. It's like whoa. That well, wasn't a 737. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, young people don't realize, but you remember, Kev, we were in the uh, runway pattern of the airport growing up for some of the planes coming in. Yeah. And some of them old uh, 727s and whatnot, uh, before they got these quieter engines. Oh, yeah. They used to really roar coming over, man. Yeah, they had that one. I think it was... Back, I want to say back 111 or something like that it was called. Yeah. Before the MD-80s and the more modern planes. And that thing, they actually banned it because it was too loud. Yeah. And it would rattle the windows on the house, I remember. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, they'd come. What do you think they were coming over? Maybe 2,500? Yeah, I mean, they weren't super low, but those things, and they were wide open. You know, this was before they did any of those noise abatement takeoffs, you know, where they get up to a safe altitude, maybe a 1,000 feet or something, and then they throttle back while they fly over the neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, yeah. back then they did the equivalent of hitting the afterburners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unforgettable, you know, some of the things that we've seen. Uh, and speaking of things that you've seen being unforgettable, wait till you hear this one. Let's go. Uh, this following sighting was shared with me by a third-generation family member whose granddad had actually had the sighting while airborne in 1954. This is what Tim Welch had to share with me. When I saw your little ad, Bill, I decided to give you a ring and share with you what had been told to me by my father, who passed in 1987. My dad was 14 years old when World War II had ended. His father, my granddad, had been a Navy Hellcat fighter pilot during the war and had returned home safely. Sometime shortly after the war, my grandparents had moved from Southern to Northern California. Within two years of having moved, my father told me that his dad had purchased 
a Piper J3 Cub airplane. My granddad was sharing a grass landing strip with another man named Smith, who owned and maintained the property where the landing strip was located. According to my dad, Mr. Smith also had a barn large enough to keep both planes in and to work on if needed. I think my dad said that Mr. Smith had an Aronka champ, if my memory serves me correctly. My granddad bought the Piper specifically because of its low-speed performance and its ability to get in and out of short takeoff situations, such as the grass strip they were using. Now, as amazing as this may seem, my granddad was one of the Navy pilots in the famous Battle of the Philippine Sea in June of 1944, which became better known as the Marianas Turkey Shoot. He and the other pilots who were involved on June 19th through the 20th had so devastated the Japanese Navy and its air armada that from that time forward, they were no longer to, a to wage naval warfare against us, with the war ending not too long after that. Even more amazing was this. My dad, being the son of a great naval aviator, was afraid of heights and flew but once with his father and never took to the sky again. Nevertheless, my dad told me that in April of 54, he had just come home from work and was abruptly met by his dad, who was waiting at the front door. As he pulled up his truck, he said that his father had, to, had said to him before he had even taken his coat off, son, you're not going to believe what I saw today in the mountains. As soon as my father was ready, my granddad told him to sit down so we could tell him what happened. He said he had taken Lucy, which was what he had named his cub, up for a ride by Bluff Creek over the snow-covered mountains. He was buzzing over some elk, I believe, low and slow, trying to spook them, which he apparently did as a source of fun. He said he was only a hundred feet or so over treetop level when he spotted what appeared to be a trail of snowshoe tracks heading around the side of this low mountain. He said that they looked very fresh and he decided to follow them in hopes of catching up to whoever had laid them down and give them the old wing rock, hello. Banking the plane hard, he turned about what was he turned about and was following the tracks around the mountain, where at about a mile out from his first position, he ran across what he described as a huge man-like being covered in brown fur, which started to run as he approached it. My granddad said he flew over it and took a hard bank, positioning himself to come back in and over the beast again. This time, he was at or near treetop level. He told my dad that it was easily four times the size of a man and was running through the snow with abandon, trying to get away from him and the plane on two legs. Once again, he banked the plane and came around for a third pass, 
this time telling my dad that the beast had made it to a patch of pines and apparently had hidden beneath them. My granddad told him that he loitered, as he called it, over the area for about 15 minutes and had even flown away for 10 minutes, hoping that the creature would think he had left, but no such luck. When he returned, the tracks had still ended by the pines, which told him that the beast was staying put, and so he left. Not only did I contact you to tell you this amazing story, but later in life and before my dad's passing, we had both become aware of the happenings in and around this very same area in regards to Bigfoot being seen or their footprints being found. Granddad had seen it before they did, and he had no idea what to call it or what he had seen. He did say that the creature ran as fast or faster than the elk he had buzzed, and that its stamina appeared to be incredible, having run a considerable distance before reaching the trees at full speed without so much as a stutter in its step. After that day, my dad said that rarely did a week go by that my granddad didn't tell someone about what he had seen in the mountains that April day. Granddad had said that the creature at treetop level seemed to be eight or nine feet tall and as broad as a rhino. When he initially saw the tracks, they appeared to have been made by a man in snowshoes which will give you a good indicator uh, as to just how big they actually were. My dad said that every spring after that, as well as on many other days, his father scoured the area in the hopes of seeing it again, but it never happened. That day was to be the first and the last time he would see the creature or its tracks until the day he died. What do you think of that, Kev? Oh, now that was uh, California. Yeah, Northern California. Yeah, another hotbed. Yeah, and yeah, uh, that is that is wild, Bill. I mean, it's um, it reminds me of uh, was it the uh, uh, firefighter in the helicopter? Same area, you know, that saw saw the Bigfoot running along. It wasn't in the snow, but they saw it from above from the helicopter too. Yeah, well, I mean... Reminds me of that account. Talk about increasing your odds. I mean, if you're looking and you got sharp eyes and you're flying over large areas, you could easily catch one of these things in the open. Well, especially in the snow, right? To be able to see the tracks like that, that's that helps a lot. You yeah. Know, of course, he thought it was uh, snowshoe tracks, which is reasonable. Yeah, I mean, big... And he figured, ah, let me go over and say hello to whoever's stomping around up here today, you know? <laughs> Really interesting, though, you know, we're talking in the 50s, and uh, Northern California was probably pretty much vacant at that point in time. I mean, relative to the amount of real estate out there, I don't think the population was great. No, pretty quiet, pretty quiet place. A lot of, uh, you know, folks uh, taking care of farmland and stuff like that, too. So yeah, even where yeah. it's populated. Really interesting, you know, and kind of cool. I, How do you like this guy's description of the J3 Cub and an Aranka? Yeah, Aranka champ. That's what uh, Dad used to fly. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, Very I mean, cool. those were like uh, really low and slow, 
Tail draggers, right? Yeah, we have a couple of J3 cubs that fly around here from a local grass field. And uh, we see them on the lake sometime when we're out on the boat, and the boat's faster than they are. It's kind of fun. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember going up to the old Rhinebeck Aerodrome once. Oh, that was super uh, cool. Yeah, and, you know, that was a grass field in the middle of the woods, upstate New York. And, you know, you remember the old movies where the uh, biplanes would be rat-a-tat-tat trying to shoot each other out of the sky. But when you'd see one of these planes take off, you'd say to yourself, geez, all I'd have to do is stand in the woods with a rifle and I could shoot you. Yeah, not that hard to hit. No, I mean... I mean, it's harder to shoot clays at the the range than it would be to shoot you in the <laughs> cockpit of one of them. That's probably true, yeah. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah, how do you like this guy, though, flying around? And he did hang around the area for a while, hoping this thing would emerge from the trees. But either it was uh, too tuckered out to do so or just decided for whatever reason to sit tight. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I love, you know, of course, I love aviation and, uh, you know, never got my pilot's license. But if I could have flown like that, you know, like having a cub or a champ and flying off a grass field in a rural place, I think I would have got my pilot's license because that's that's kind of the way it should be, you know, yeah, would- just for fun instead of uh, worrying about all the other traffic and filing all these flight plans and everything else. I'd, I'd like yeah. to just walk out of the barn and get in a plane, fire it up, take off, and see if I see a Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Kev, I don't think I ever told you this. I don't know if you were with us that day. I don't think you were born yet. Uh, I was flying over the Great South Bay with Dad in a Cessna 150. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I have to be honest with you. I never really liked flying, and you know I don't fly today. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mind flying at low altitudes. So what's the difference between 1,500 feet and 5,000? I don't know mentally. Yeah. But I was really uncomfortable with the change in height. Mm -hmm. Well, one day we were out over the bay, and a uh, bonanza... I saw it out of my vision to the right, looking out of the windshield. It came across our nose at about 200 miles an hour and close. Mm. And I said to myself, how the freak did that happen? I mean, it freaked me out, you know, how close this guy was. Uh, And, you know, either dad didn't have the plan or this guy didn't have the plan. But that was way too close for comfort. Too close for comfort, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the last time I went up. (laughs) But I'm totally with you. I've often thought that if I was in Iowa or Nebraska with cornfields around, wide open spaces, I would absolutely enjoy buzzing around in some small plane over the fields Knowing that I could drop into a wheat field or corn stalks if the engine died. Yeah, exactly. If something goes wrong, you just set it down. That's all. Your biggest worry is how to get out of there. (laughs) And hope there isn't a Bigfoot or a dog (laughs) man in there. Or a pack of wolves. (laughs) Or a pack of wolves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was an awesome account. And uh, 
I, I knew you'd get a kick out of that because the guy's talking about this whole Mariana's turkey shooting the Hellcats. That's and amazing. here you are showing me your Hellcat model before we started today. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Super cool. Uh, so what do we got, brother, in listener mail? Yeah, we got some good listener mail. So uh, the first uh, note comes in from Dwayne. And uh, Dwayne writes, Dear Bill and Kevin. Well, first off, Dwayne, thanks for mentioning me. (laughs) (laughs) He says, I appreciate how you've broadened the scope of the show to include other cryptids and aspects of the paranormal. I particularly enjoyed the recent segment on the Tower of London. Ah. Yeah, and he says, this past week's incident with the scouts on Round Mountain, that was up in uh, West Virginia, uh, took place within uh, Monongahela National Forest. In fact, in the books, I've read all eight. There were four or five encounters within the MNF, as we will refer to it, (laughs) which encompasses a large part of eastern West Virginia. He writes, I believe Kevin mentioned a few weeks back that he was planning to ski at Snowshoe Ski Resort in West Virginia this winter. Snowshoe is in the immediate vicinity of the Monongahela National Forest also. So I thought it would be a great opportunity for Kevin to do some field work exploring the MNF, weather permitting, of course. Uh-huh. The MNF is one of my favorite hiking backpacking spots, though I've never seen anything. Keep up the great work and have a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, awesome e- email. Yeah, uh, but, thank you but, so much. By the way, me. I think it's Monongahela. Monongahela. Okay, yep. sounds good. Monongahela, Monongahela. I like MNF. <laughs> Monday Night Football. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't your Monday night football. <laughs> but it's cool. I, Dwayne, I will be looking around, uh, you know, if this COVID mess subsides a little bit and I can get up there and do a little snowboarding. Uh, and, of course, my snowboard, I've said this before, if any of you are out there skiing sometime and you get on the uh, – chairlift with somebody that looks a little bit like Bigfoot and he's got some Bigfoot stickers on his board, that might be me. So say hello. (laughs) Hey, Kev, I don't know if we've done this in a while. Just tell the listeners briefly what happened to you up in uh, Utah that day. That's kind of funny, you know? Yeah, I I have a uh, I Believe sticker on my... uh, on my snowboard right on the front of it so you can't kind of miss it you know if i'm riding on the chairlift the tip of the board is sticking up in front of me and it says i believe and it's got a big hairy man on it and uh um, we're sitting there we're getting close to the top of the mountain i think it was in park city utah a beautiful place to ski and uh guy guy next to me he looks at me and he's like do you really believe (laughs) i'm like yeah i'm like don't you (laughs) he's getting off in the top of the forest like whoa (laughs) he's out there (laughs) yeah yeah looking around like she's so I wonder, either this guy's really weird or I don't want to be in this place. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh-huh. Cool. All right. We got another one coming in from Casey. 
And Casey writes, Hey there, I love listening to your podcast. I work the night shift, and I am a forklift driver in a warehouse. I listen to your podcast on a Bluetooth speaker. I hang from my forklift. You (laughs) and Kev, yeah, he says, you and Kev do an amazing job. I raccoon hunt with dogs at night when I'm not working, and I'm always listening, smelling, and looking for signs because I believe I'm likely to run into one of those things being in the woods at night in the middle of nowhere. He says, I live in Boaz, Alabama, in Marshall County. And I hear you mention your buddy, Nate, that is a researcher. Would love to be able to get with him if he's close by and go Bigfoot researching. All the guys I raccoon hunt with are non-believers, and they've been raccoon hunting their whole lives. If they only knew all of the things about Bigfoot that I know, they too would be believers. But they won't listen, so I keep it to myself. I've heard y'all talk about encounters at Nakalula Falls in Gadsden, Alabama, and that's just about 13 minutes from me. If you could keep me informed with stuff you hear about around here, I'll do the same. Please hook hook me and your buddy up because I really want to get to the bottom of this. Thanks, Casey. Yeah, excellent job, Casey. And Casey, just so you know, it, on an individual basis, there's no way of me keeping in touch with you and uh, uh, informing you of what's going on. Uh, oh, yeah, but we'll do it on the podcast. Absolutely. We some good stuff down there. Absolutely. That was going to be my next uh, statement, that just keep listening and we'll keep uh, beating the bushes and uh, uh, telling the stories as they're coming in or as they've come in and... Uh, uh, really appreciate this guy working in the warehouse with his. I could see him, you know, buzzing around the forklift with the speaker and. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, you know, that's a cool my, way. And, and Casey, my daughter graduated from the University of Alabama, so roll tide. And I got a little soft spot for Alabama. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, he said he's thirteen minutes away from the falls, so that means that he's got Bigfoot in his backyard. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's just a a question of the timing. But the other thing is, you know, I don't know. If you're out in the woods with a pack of coon hunting dogs, one, two, or three, I I do know of people who have seen Bigfoot while with their dog. Yeah. But I don't know if they're going to be so eager to come to you with a pack of animals around because no animal wants to be pestered uh, by barking, snarling dogs. No, you no. know, so well, it's uh, a little bit like us talking about the wolves, you know, it's like it's a, it's not a good thing. Yeah. You know, well, even these guys that hunt for cougar, uh, they put the dogs on them and the cougar goes up a tree eventually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because gonna, the dogs are rel- catch a cougar unless you do that. You got to yeah. treat it. Yeah. 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 They're going to uh, the dogs are relentless, you know. Yeah. Well, great, great uh, mail, Kev. Great mail. Yeah, super, super stuff this week. Thanks, folks. And um, keep your reviews coming. We've been getting tons of five-star reviews. So please, uh, while you're listening, as soon as you finish, 
Go to your favorite podcast po- podcast player and give us a five-star review. Those five-star reviews are super important because they bring more listeners to the podcast. And if we get more listeners, we're able to continuously improve the quality of the podcast. And uh, Lord knows we've improved a lot since the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. And uh, keep in mind, folks, that your purchasing of one of my books helps us out a lot. So please indulge. And remember, I've got those autographed copies up on eBay. So check them out, too. And by the way, if you should be wandering through the Monongahela this weekend, remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. (laughs) 